You're listening to another great podcast in the Stoplight Network. Well, you know our operandi. We start out with like eight things. We maybe do two, get sidetracked to about five different directions, and then maybe come back to something. That's true. But then again, that's kind of the way this show works. And folks, welcome to Geekiest Show Ever, episode 177. And if you folks could see what Mike and I are seeing, we're actually seeing the infamous Mr. Mark Greentree in video for the first time in a couple weeks. And folks, let me tell you, it's not an improvement. But it is fun to see him for a change. Hey, Mark, how goes it? Good, Kevin. You, you, you know what? I, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed that I, I was I was looking sort of down at the camera with my head tilted, and I realized both of you guys have more hair than I do. It, 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 I can move my laptop like this, and you can see the runway just happening there. It, it's really... It's really quite terrible. It must. It must just be. I. I have more wisdom, and and I'm wiser than than you two old farts. That's that's that must be what it is. Otherwise, you guys are wearing wigs. You cannot naturally have that um, much hair left. Mark, grass doesn't grow on a rock pile. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike has proof in his yard of that. <laughs> well, either that, or just because I have a head full of fertilizer, that's why I've got so much. I don't know. It, it cuts either direction. So. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you talk about that, uh, Mark. In my family, on both sides, my brother went bald. His sons went bald in their late 20s um, to the point they ended up shaving their head. My father had almost no hair. My one grandfather had almost (laughs) I'm the only one that has hair. (laughs) I don't know what happened to me. I got lucky. I don't don't, don't know. You're, You're strange, Kevin. Okay, that's a well-established fact. Come up with yeah. something Good. else. <laughs> that's that's just too that's too normal to, too, to say. Too, too too normative. What a shame. Yeah. So, and and that other voice that we've heard is the ever lovely and effervescent Mr. Mike P- McPeak. Effervescent. That makes me sound like I'm going to burp or something. That's what I'm. Yeah, figuring. I, I was a little bit more worried about the ever lovely. <laughs> he. Uh, ha- he has his fans. Don't take it away from him. Yeah, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan as well, but I just wouldn't class him as the ever lovely. I guess a little fan like there, Kevin. I got some really big fans. I got like about a three foot fan at school. <laughs> it's about this big. That's 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 what I that's what I've been. He has some big yes. fans. Right, there's some in the ceiling, and there's some portable ones. And yeah, don't you know? Don't ask a janitor about fans. So yes. And speaking of fans, I had to move a lot of air the, uh, last week one day. Yeah. No, uh, no, no comments? No, you move your own I, I air, say, I want to see where this heads and, and where it goes. And, as long uh, as you didn't break the wind, that's fine. Well, all right, so here's what happened. We were, uh, I guess it was last Wednesday? Yeah, we had an epic rainstorm here in, uh, in our area in uh, northern Virginia. And I, when I'm talking rain, it came down so hard that the overhang of my house, the rain blew up under it and got the brick wet where it normally never <laughs> gets wet. It actually blew in around the underneath the storm door on the front of the house, up over the threshold, back down and underneath the inside door, and came in to the foyer uh, around the front door, I had, we had water coming in, but that wasn't the worst of it. 
I, you know, I was driving home through this god awful rain. It was, you know, I had visibility of probably thirty feet in front of my car, and I'm just puttering along through this rain. My little car being almost washed away. As I got closer to home, I ran out of the rain, but I could see all the dry weather streams were just gushing. You know, with like a couple feet of water running through them. I go over and I turn down my street. And I come down and my garage door open. And I pull in the driveway, and there's my wife sitting there pushing water out of the garage. Oh, my God. What had happened was we had this hard rain. And normally when it rains hard against the front of the house, we'll get a little bit of water that will come in under a garage door. There's nothing you can do. No garage door is really watertight. But we, so she went down to check on it. Well, when she went down to check on it, she opened the garage door to see what was going on. Unbeknownst to her, there was about between four and six inches of water piled up against the garage door. And she opened the garage door and a wave just came all the way through the garage, went almost the entire 28-foot length of the garage. That that would have been a Kodak moment. Um, I wasn't holding. Suddenly a YouTube moment. That would have been, after the event, hilarious. Yeah, it would have been afterwards because it wasn't at the that point in time. Well, I got <laughs> oh, and I got home. She'd already gotten the vehicle out and was cleaning the water out. Well, the worst part was when the water came rushing in. She tried to close the garage door to stop it because it was still no, well, not really, but it was because it was still raining. Well, when the water had come rushing in, it had gotten on. I had cracked the housing on the little electric eye. That if you trip it when the door's coming down, it stops it. It's a safety device. Mm-hmm. That got wet, so the garage door stopped working. It was stuck. And the only way to close it was to climb on top of the van in the garage, pull the emergency release, and then pull mm-hmm. the door shut. Well, by then, mm-hmm. all the water was in the house, or in the garage. Oh, what a freaking mess. And what it turned out, two things. Besides the hard rain and the water rushing... Uh, down part of the driveway. The other thing was the downspout extension had come off, and that downspout catches all the water off the entire 50-foot run of my the front of my house. So it came running down, and then it ran out. Instead of running down the hill from the house, it turned around and just ran right back in front of the garage door. So it was like the perfect storm, as you would say. And it's like, oh, what a mess. And so talking about having to move air... We were sitting there sweeping and trying to get all the water out and dry things out. I was trying to think, how can I dry this floor out? And I was, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And so finally I thought, oh, I got my leaf blower out. My, you know, grass and leaf blower. It was loud as hell running it in the garage. But I started at the back of the garage. I was still blowing some water forward out the garage. But after about 45 minutes or 50 minutes, I dried most of the floor out. Hmm. So... And we fortunately had little, little to no damage from it. So, you, we had a situation like that about six or seven years ago, but it wasn't in the garage; it was in our basement. Um, and normally, we where we live, our house is literally in uh, an 
it used to be a gravel pit because I went out and being a farmer when we first bought the house, I decided I had to have a post out in the middle of the yard to put a rain gauge on so I could get an accurate rain gauge reading. So I was out there and digging the hole. I went through about literally six inches of dirt, then it was in the pure gravel. So we got pure gravel around here. It should be good drainage. Well, what had happened that time was it was just about this time of year. I think it was about Memorial Day weekend or somewhere there, pretty close to it. Anyway. We hadn't. We got downspouts on our house, but we take them off for the winter. And the ones we have, they point off to the side of the house, so it'll come down and shoot the water off to the side. Well, we hadn't got those uh, deflectors on, so we had a four-inch rain that night. So not only did the yard have four inches of rain, then all the water that was on the roof ran down into the gutters and then got shot up and then came back down towards the house. So we wake up in the middle of the night. There's water in the basement. We got like you know water running all over the place. Oh. Well. Me being the quick-thinking person I am and the custodian that I am, I ran up to the high school and got our, they call it a trot mop, a wet vac. Um, it's a squeegee. It's a walking wet vac. So I got that, and I started sucking the water up. Well, we couldn't pour it down the floor drain here, so my son and I, I would f- uh, fill, fill it full of water. We'd haul it up the uh, stairs, out in the garage, down the steps into the garage, take it outside and dump it. We had to do that several times getting the water out of the house. We had water running everywhere. And since that day, we always tried to keep our computers up off the ground, up <laughs> off the floor. So if we ever have, and we haven't had it again. We've lived in this house 15 years. It was just that freak occurrence when that happened. But uh, yeah, you wake up in the middle of the night, you got water running all over your basement. That does kind of like scare the crap out of you so yeah that was Mm. we've been in this house 16 years yeah 16 years uh yeah i built it 16 years ago so we've been in the house 16 years and that's the first time i mean we've always had a little bit like i said come under the garage door and during uh hurricane sandy i think it was yeah when sandy came by we had a little bit that blew in again it was it wasn't as much the volume but the wind was blowing the rain so hard that it blew <laughs> one of the windows. It blew under the window, or under the window, up over the little window trough, up, and then back down and went, what the hell, man? Is it raining hmm. up? <laughs> so, yeah, we, we get a lot of horizontal rain where I live as well, but it doesn't get that bad where it actually gets in through the windows. Yeah, it, it will literally just rain sideways. The wind will just blow it so hard that... You might as well, if you're out in it, there's no use having an umbrella because it doesn't do anything. Yeah, it may, every time, when well, we've had that a couple times, and again, we've only had these two instances where something's happened like that, it always makes me think of that scene in Forrest Gump where, he start, where he's in Vietnam, he talks about it rained this way. Or, it actually rained up one time. <laughs> 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 because he's walking along holding the rain back when it's coming up. But but the, the reason I bring it up, besides to share my personal tragedy... Uh, is I'm trying to figure out a good geeky way to fix this without investing a ton of money. And I have seen before, but I can't find them readily, and I haven't been able to. There's a thing that will attach to my garage door that's kind of like a, a flap that would extend from the garage door about five or six inches up from the bottom of the garage door and extend out into the driveway. So that way if water comes down... It's just kind of held there before it runs off to the, before it can drain off to the side. So if anybody knows where I can find something like that, I, I remember seeing it a couple times in these, for lack of a better term, junk catalogs you used to get in the mail all the time. But I haven't seen it recently, and I can't remember the names of any of those companies. 
Kevin, you could uh, just get a, a drain put in at the front of where, where the door comes down. Or, I, or would that be too expensive to, to get done? Actually, I had considered that when we paved the driveway probably 11 years ago, I think it was, or something, whenever I had the driveway asphalted, and we were going to do it. But when they dug down to do the paving, they hit the drain tile around the house, so I could, and I didn't want to tap into that mm-hmm. to put the drain for the garage. So what we did at that point, and I need to just fix it up a little bit, but it still works most of the time, is there's a little... As you come in the driveway, there's a ridge of asphalt just as you, before you go come into the garage door that's a, probably about an inch and a half tall. So you got like a little speed bump right there. And for the most part, that deflects the water, always has deflected the water away, except for what rains in and beats over top of it. That's why I say we always get a little bit because that kind of traps it there. But this time, it was just the volume in the short, di- short amount of time was just tremendous. And, well, like, and and the fact that your wife opened the garage door kind of didn't help. So well, if she'd done all that water was out there, she wouldn't know. But yeah, but but what I'm saying, you're you're looking to fix a problem, and the problem, I dare say, was your wife opening the garage door because it wouldn't have flooded if she didn't open it. Is that correct? No, it had already partially flooded, but it wasn't as deep and as far back in the right. garage. Mm-hmm. That was the difference. So what? Uh, but the, basically, but the partially, I'm, I'm getting stuck on this. But the partial flooding, it, is that an is that an issue? Like a, a massive issue, or it happens once every two or three years. Probably we get like a little bit, mm-hmm. and it's again, it's usually something I can clean up, you know, in just a few minutes. Sure. But this this was just because so much built up against the garage door and it was just coming because all the gutters on the house were overflowing it was just coming down that hard and fast i think they said we got two inches or or about an inch of rain excuse me in about 15 minutes or something like that a lot of damn rain so what, what you need what you're looking for basically is just a flashing then that you could put on your garage door could you go is there a sheet metal place in town where you could just have them bend a yeah something like that that's and then what, just screw it to your garage door? That's what I thought. But then where I want to put it, it needs to have more flex to it because of the door going up when the garage door opens. Right. The thing I had seen was more like a really stiff, uh, thick rubber product. Mm. So, And if I get it long enough made out of metal that I want to do, it's going to be a pain in the butt and it's not going to look very good. This mm. rubber thing I'd seen was just black and it would just... You know, blend in with the driveway. You'd never even notice it was there, probably. So, mm. I don't know. I'll figure out something. But if anybody out there has any good suggestions, uh, please send them forward. I would love to hear them because I've been but, racking my brain on different ways. R- to rem- do it. Remind the wife not to open the garage door when it rains. That that's my advice. Well, see, normally, if it, if I had been home and it was raining that hard, I'd have been downstairs when the rain started and had the door open, sitting there looking out, watching it rain and thunder and lightning. <laughs> I go outside in thunder and yeah. lightning storms. Yeah, well, so I, do I. I, I, I enjoy them. Um, Gretel hates them. She won't. She, she'll go and hide in, in the darkest room we have if there's a thunderstorm. Um, but... Yeah, it's okay. So you would have let the 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 floodwaters come in anyway. Okay. Well, actually, what would have happened if I had been there is I would have realized that the thing was off pretty quickly, and I would have put the downspout extension on, and that would have taken a good chunk of the water away. And uh, 
I've I've even a couple times when it's come down hard like that, just stood there and swept what came down out right away. So mm-hmm. it never was that bad. I mean, I've been outside when lightning struck probably about a hundred feet from the house. <laughs> you know, I was I uh, I don't think I was outside, but I know we were in the house. We had lightning strike that was real close, and it fried the brains in the. Uh, a garage door opener because then it was it sat there and it just kept running and running and running it was just sitting there and just uh the chain was jumping so we had to pull the plug and like i say it just fried the circuit board in there uh and it was just basically stuck permanently on we had i've had two lightning strikes fairly close to the house the one hit the uh, next door neighbor's tree and it hit the tree between their house and the other next house up and after the storm, I went out in the front yard, and you could see pieces of the tree laying in my yard. And what had happened is when it hit the tree, it went down and followed the roots of the tree out. And it was, the roots were all blown out of the ground in the yard. You could see where all the roots had gone out from it. <laughs> and it fried one of her garage door openers. It fried all the telephones, in her, wired telephones in the house. And I think it got her refrigerator, if I remember right. And it got a couple other things. So and it ended up killing the tree. Right. Um, and then the last time it happened, it hit the, there was the stop sign up here on the corner, uh, was still on a wooden post uh, instead of a metal post. And I was sitting and I saw that one happen. I happened to be looking out the window and I heard, I saw, heard and saw and heard the sign explode when the lightning hit it. And I have pictures of that somewhere. Cause I'm sorry. It, it stopped it. It stopped it. And it blew that sign all to hell. It blew. I mean, this was a four by four wooden post with a big metal stop sign, and it knocked it probably twenty five or thirty feet up into the yard beside it. After the lightning hit it, it's like, holy crap! So, yeah, when you uh, last year at the uh, high school, we had a uh, lightning struck a tree there, and we're only a few blocks away, so. We heard that one in the middle of the night, and then we were looking around the next day there. We were just out in the parking lot. We looked over there, and, yeah, it blew a chunk of tree across the road, which is probably about 30, 40 feet, something like that. Um, yeah, lightning, that's, you know, nothing to, you know, mess around with. We had one strike fairly close to our house here. It didn't hurt us, but the neighbor across the street uh, took out the microwave, uh, the uh, – her telephone, and I think it uh, hit so hard that it uh, fractured the gas line in her uh, gas fireplace in the living room. So they had to turn the gas off. And so, uh, yeah, it, it's uh, nothing to be uh, trivial about. Yeah, it's, it's, it can get kind of wicked. But like I say, I'm the weirdo that goes out and watches it storm like that. And I'll stand in the garage and do that because it's, it's quieter out there in the storm than in the house listening to my wife freak out. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I will say that. And, you know, it is. I've always been fascinated by thunder and lightning storms for some reason. I don't know why. It's just an an oddity. Yeah, like that's a big surprise that there's something odd about me. (laughs) Go ahead, yeah. You said it. You said it. Hey, I own my my oddity. I own up to it. Let's put it that way. So. Yeah, because nobody else would buy it. That's exactly right. I'm not for sale, even though Mark has offered to purchase me. Anyway, moving on to the the uh, the something that uh, is somewhat related to uh, the uh, the the death and destruction we've been talking about with lightning. I was thinking about a category of movies that I've 
wondering about, and this will bring up another topic a little later on. I was listening to an episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk, in case nobody's ever heard of that show. That Mr. Yeah, Big, see. Oh, Mr. yeah. You, you've heard of it, right, Mike? Yeah, yeah, I think I've heard of it. I think I'm on it, like, you know, every week or something like okay. that. So. Right. so that you're aware of it. Okay. But it made me think of apocalyptic movies, and I kind of divide them into three categories. And I'd be interested to know if you if you guys agree with the categories, and do you like watching these types of movies? So the three categories I divide them into, and the, the lar- largest one seems to be the one that's popular now, is the zombie movies. You know, the zombie apocalypse. Then there's the natural disaster movies. I'm thinking like the day after. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Sharknadoes. No, I guess that's not technically a disaster. An apocalyptic the, movie. the movie was a disaster. I don't know like if the... Twister. Um, Twister, yeah. Twister was one. But God, I'd even say Independence Day fits that category because, you know, if aliens do exist, they are natural. That's true. But that brings that's where there's that crossover with the third category, man-made things, and I'm thinking like global thermonuclear war. And, but, uh, but man-made, all we have to do is look at the news and and watch what the governments of this world do. That's enough of a natural disaster. Yeah, well, that's that true. In, doesn't it? Yeah. So, of of those, first of all, let me ask this question of both of you: Do you all enjoy apocalyptic style movies? Hmm. It depends upon depends upon the movie. Because um, right. I hate Armageddon, and that has to do more with the and that was an almost apocalyptic movie. The Earth didn't get destroyed, but there was some you know things that crashed Earth. But the thing the that drove me crazy, the soundtrack was good. But what drove me nuts was uh, uh, I can't remember who directed that movie. Was that um, uh, uh, Michael? Did, yeah, he did Transformers. Um, Michael Bay. Michael Bay, Bay, yes. Yeah, yeah, the guy that, you know, has, uh, you can't have a shot over about a second and a half long. Um, and it was just the way that that movie was filmed and shot that drove me nuts. It was just the whole, you know, the, the, the well, one it, after it's another. It's also completely fake. I mean, it, it's right. It's just really fake, the whole, the whole thing. And it dates itself to that film technology at that period of time. You watch it now and you just go, oh, man, that's shocking, you know. I can't watch it, but at the time it was okay. All right, so... But there, there wasn't much of a story in it either. I mean, let, let's be honest. Bruce Willis is not going to be much of a story anyway. Um, he's no De Niro. He's no Pacino. There's just no story. It's like, okay, bad thing happens. Good guy comes and fixes it. Deal with it. All right, so you, there are some... Give me another example of, a, of an apocalyptic movie that you like, though. Um, Dante's Inferno, uh, no, Dante's Peak, sorry, not Dante's Inferno, that's completely different, Dante's Peak, um, that had, uh, it it was James Bond for a few years in the 90s, Pierce Brosnan, Pierce Brosnan, that was a very good film about, um, just basically a a volcanic eruption, oh, yeah, 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 I remember that one now, Mm. I, I liked that, it was, it was, um, it was more realistic. It was along the same lines and around the same time as Twister, and I really enjoyed Twister as well. Um, like both of those films, which is no, not that type of Twister, Kevin. <laughs> uh, good God, you did not want to see that, listeners. Um, yeah, both of those films were, I felt, really good because they dealt with that natural disaster. The, the other thing 
I actually no. I, maybe I should leave that other one that I'm thinking of for when we talk about man-made disasters. It's more man-made than than anything else. See, some of them do overlap. That's the that's the big yeah. problem. You, you look at it and it's like, okay, if, if this was done and this was done, then that wouldn't happen. So, or, or if this was done, then that definitely happens. So, some of them do mix um, quite a bit, but. Yeah, Dante's Peak and uh, Twister were my two favourite from the 90s anyway. And I've got to be honest, like when I was a teenager, I used to love watching disaster films. I think I just wanted to get out of home, so anything that, you know, could, you know, spell the demise of of my family home situation was always a good thing. So I was like, yep, destruction, you know, great people die, wonderful. Now I'm a family man and it's like, I don't want to die, I've got to live. I want to live. I want to live. Well, I and you, and I, you know, I couldn't think of anything, so I cheated and I, I googled it. Oh. And I'm looking at this here, and, um, and you know, I just need something to jog my memory. Uh, I thought Mad Max wasn't too bad. Um, Don't like Mad Max. Never have liked Mad Max. Okay, and then I'm looking yeah, at some of these. It reminds me of Waterworld. That's how bad it is for me. Okay, well, yeah, and they had Waterworld showed up. Your, I, we haven't done it on the show, but I have watched the movie. Yeah, yeah, anyway. But I'm looking at some of these we have done. Um, I Am Legend, we've done that. That's sort of the zombie-type uh, movie. Uh, what else? I don't, I don't like this. Okay, I like the zombie-style games, but the zombie-style movies, I, look, you know what? I like some of the classic style. Uh, the the um, I am a uh, uh, no, not I am Omega Omega Man. Um, 1950s, 60s, Sheldon Heston. Um, oh yeah, yeah, love that. That's absolutely superb. But the modern day ones are just all about gore and and shock and and stuff like that. And some of them are okay, but most of them are just like ah, uh, already been done. I don't know. I think zombie, I class more, I like the classical view of zombie in, in more traditional-based film than modern-day film, just purely because it is a fictional um, character. You know, we may be zombies, who knows? But bottom line is the zombies that have been depicted are, are, are purely fictional, and I think that they did that. They, they had more of a story years ago, whereas today there's not as much of a story. I may be incorrect with that, but... I just feel it's more about the showing rather than the not showing but the inducing of fear, and that's what I like. That's why, you know, this will be totally different, but that's why I like the film Moon, the sci-fi film Moon, because it's, oh, yeah. not, it's not showing the fear. It's just that fear of isolation, that fear of loneliness, and that's based around story and, and scene and, and stuff like that. And I like that type of film. So if it's got zombies in it, it's got to show less zombies but have me in fear of seeing them, if that makes sense. I know that's probably a convoluted view, but I don't want to be shown, look, we can put 10,000 zombies on one screen. I, I don't care about that. I want the fear. I want to know that they're out there, but I want to be locked in the house, bordering up the windows and not really seeing them, but maybe just getting glimpses. And I don't think a lot of the modern-day zombie films do that well. I think they just show too much. Okay. Well, and this isn't exactly a zombie film, but then as you were saying that, I was thinking about, what about uh, Andromeda Strain? <gasps> oh, I love that movie, the original one. Yeah. 
about the uh, they uh, bring oh. this. Uh, I'm trying to remember the exact plot, but basically they bring this chunk of uh, a satellite that comes back to Earth and has a little piece of bacteria. I guess the best way to yeah. say it. Yeah, and it, uh, they have to isolate it, and I think they end up blowing up the, uh, not to give away the, the entire plot, but I think they end up blowing up the station. But um, Well, and it wasn't just on the station, too, but, uh, and I'm trying to think what it does. Does it uh, uh, kill people? or It doesn't turn them to zombies. Oh, man. It does. Watched- it, it kills them. They die, but they when they go in to see what's happened in the little town where they brought the thing into, it um, they find a baby and an old man that are still alive. So they're trying to figure out why are they resistant to this bacteria when the rest of the town has died from it or, you know, whatever it is. And um, they don't end up blowing up the place where they're testing it because they figure out that if they blow it up, it actually spreads it instead of killing it. So they, I forget, it's been so long. They, They end up stopping from blowing it up and they isolate it and figure out a way to, to, to treat it and kill it off, you know, through medicine or some, I can't remember now. It's been, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's been way too long, but I, yeah, I'd forgotten about the Andromeda strain. That was a really good movie. It's one of the first sci-fi movies I really started watching repeatedly. Yeah. It was from 1971. I had to stop and look it up here. We did it. I want to say about a year ago, but the thing is, well, I guess that's why I, I can go back and it drives my wife nuts. I can go back and rewatch a TV show because I may not remember the exact plot. Mm-hmm. And she sits there and goes, oh, we've seen this show before. Sometimes she's even seen shows that we haven't seen yet. She knows. I don't know how that <laughs> one works. Uh, I don't get into that argument. but but the, I, I, mean, I, I, I can watch Star Trek till the end of time. I just keep watching. I just keep going through every series. And then when I'm oh, done, yeah. I got the next series. And by the time you get around, there's so many episodes that you honestly forget. It's like, oh, oh, that's right. right. Now I remember. Yeah. yeah, I don't have a problem with reruns because, uh, hmm. you know, unless it's been on fairly recently, I probably won't remember exactly. It's kind of like, uh, oh, yeah, that's, you know, when they get to the point, I'll remember what happens. But and, you know, if, st- if it's a good show as well, it, it's like a good film. It, it's like good music. It's like a good book. You want to keep re-experiencing it because there's always going to be something that you've missed. Or something that you haven't quite caught on to. And I notice this as I'm getting older and, and as I've, I'm experiencing more of the, the world and, and the knowledge of the world and, and stuff like that. I can now watch things that I would watch, say, 20 years ago and not really understand and comprehend. But I can watch it with a more mature view and then get a, a much better idea of what that film or what that TV show was about and oh now I finally get that joke or get that quote that was was present and so I, I think as we learn and adapt all this media and all this um, television film and so forth it changes and sometimes we don't like it sometimes we go and watch something and go wow what did I see in that why was I so excited by that at the time but then you've got the flip side where it it gets better with age, like a good bottle of red wine. You know, that's interesting. You were talking about that. I remember, and we can talk about both movies, and it's been probably 35 years ago, there was a movie, uh, it, was during, it came out, if I'm not mistaken, during the early, the first Reagan administration. It was made for TV. It was called The Day After. Oh, Yeah. Um, it was about global thermonuclear war. You know, it followed yep. all these people up to the point. And I remember watching that movie. It was on television. It was, and it was made, it was a made for TV movie. And I remember after watching that movie, 
I actually we talked about it at, at uh, church uh, the following week. It was one of those movies where it was so seemed so real and what happened that I actually after I got to watch the movie, I got up, went to the door, opened the door, and looked outside and said, "Yeah, world's still here." You know, it was it was <laughs> it was excuse me, it was just that real, and it put me in that time. I've since gone back and watched part of that movie and some of the specific clips that I remember going that were uh, really triggered emotions, I guess, or feelings in me. I'm going, huh. either I'm old or I'm tainted or I'm old and tainted. I'm not sure which, but it doesn't quite trigger the same reaction. But part of it, too, has to do with um, I grew up in, I've grown up around Washington, D.C., the nation's, the United States Capitol. Um, and where I lived, I lived near a place, and we've talked about this once or twice on the show, called Mount Weather, which was a secret, at one time, a secret government installation, which was one of the places that in a global thermonuclear war, the president would go to. It was a place built deep down inside the mountain. I go by the place every day now on my way back and forth to work. I've been going by it for 26 years, you know, driving past it. And it's still there. It's used for different things. It's become a little more clandestine again. It went from being clandestine to more open and back, um, but it is still there. But, you know, everybody that lived in the area knew what it was. You know, we knew what it was. And we lived, and you had D.C., and we always figured, well, if nuclear war comes, we're between two really big targets, including Hmm. one major airport. It's going to be a bright flashlight, and you're going to go, what the? And that's, (laughs) you know, a millisecond of bright light, and we'll be ashed. So um, that's why it seems so real to me back then. But now, it doesn't seem so real to me. I'm not saying global war, thermonuclear war could happen. I'm just saying it... But was it more of a key issue in reality back in, in the Reagan administration at that point in time, Kevin? And that's why... Because I notice that films tend to always have this political bend, if they can. They, they try to highlight, especially in... In horror genres and that, or thriller genres, they try to highlight what we fear, and they utilize the backdrop, perhaps, of uh, a, the current political situation um, to sort of talk about or bring that into the public domain, like they're trying to make a statement or something, I guess. So I, I guess I'm wondering, was that an actual threat in the U.S. at that point in time? I think it was more because the Cold War was still going on in full force at that point mm-hmm. in time. It was before the Cold War ended. And, it, again, it was something that I grew up understanding. Right. I mean, the we, Cold War had always been there for me. It had been very, very real. Yeah, and we never, ha- we never had the, the duck and cover stuff here. That was like the 50s and stuff. That was a little before my time. But there was still uh, – there was still – well, I think even when was I in high school or right after we were married, like the early eighties, um, people were uh, still maintaining fallout shelters. Um, you know, that was still a thing yet. I think, uh, and I even I, driving down Watertown, I see a sign for fallout shelter that on the side of the building that they haven't bothered to take down yet. But there was a you know a real fear there, and I was trying to remember. It was uh, a made-for-TV movie. It's not the one that you were talking about. It wasn't the day after. I forget what it was, but it was this dramatization about a uh, 
a accidental nuclear strike gets called on Russia, uh, and they can't. And it was uh, fail safe. Was that the one with? Uh, I'm trying to remember who's it. Don Cheadle and um, uh, George Clooney. I think. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of Fail Safe, the original movie, which had uh, Henry Fonda and. Maybe this was a remake of that because they did it kind of. Uh, it was a different style. I mean, it wasn't like a movie per se. It was like uh, what you'd see from the 50s, 60s type. It was like a live action television show. I think it was uh, broadcast live, if I yes. remember correctly. That was a redone version of the movie. Or, right. Or maybe the original failsafe, I think, might have been. that. Yeah, it's where it's where we'd sent the bombers out. They were just out going out onto uh, 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 patrol. And something right. failed, and the bomber got the go code to, to attack. Right, and it actually yes. went to, uh, I guess it was Moscow or something like yep. that. And the only way the president could stop a full retaliatory strike was to send somebody to wipe out New York City. You know, we're right. trading Moscow. We're going to bomb Moscow, and because we're doing that, we're going to blow New York City off the map. Didn't and- I do that? Huh? Oh, several times. The Avengers, I think, <laughs> did it a time or two. Yeah. Uh, but probably the most chilling thing about that movie that I remember, I don't remember a lot about it, and I always thought it was kind of kind of political propaganda, but they were you know, playing on the emotions of the time. But the most chilling thing I remember about that was the Russian ambassador and how he was on the phone, and he was going to be on the phone knowing that he was about to have a bomb dropped on him. They were talking about, you know, I will stand here, and as the wave comes towards me and the, the blast of the heat, the phone will die. The, ha- the phone, the handset will probably melt into my hand uh, just before I'm, you know, uh, my skin burns off or something like that. And, you know, and they were, you know, certainly playing it up. Um, and uh, they... Uh, but I do remember that, and it was just kind of it was one of those things. And the way it was shot, it was you know very uh, well. Of course, nuclear war is always somber, uh, unless it's like well, I don't know. Anyway, there's probably some funny apocalyptic nuclear war movie out there, but I can't think of it. Doctor Strangelove. Oh, there you go. I have and again another one that I have not watched. I should sit down and watch that one. Um, I just have to get in the right mood, I think, to do that. But, um, you know, the way they did it, and it, it was one of those, there's been certain movies uh, that have just, you know, creeped me out. And that was one of them, just because uh, I, I have this vivid imagination. So I'm just trying to sit there, think about, I'm this guy. I know that I'm any, you know, in a few seconds, I'm going to get wa- wiped out by an atomic bomb. What would my thought process be? What would I be going through? I torture myself sometimes. Um, I don't know, just because I'm an idiot or something. <laughs> no, we don't do that kind of thing from time I know. to time. It's fun. It's weird fun, but it's fun. After the fact, after you calm down, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, that's that's the one type, the man-made stuff that we've talked right. about. And I'm... I, I, I will go on record saying I hate zombie movies. I hate the whole thing with zombies. It just it's bugging me that the entire what about world, huh? Vampires? Uh, stupid. Don't like it. Yeah, I, I can do the vampire thing more can, than I can do the zombie thing. Yeah, I it, the whole thing. And I'm not scared. It doesn't scare me. It's like it. It's so far. Be, un, it's too unbelievable for me. I guess is the way. Yeah, but that, that, that's that's why I like the more traditional style ones where it's it's like. Okay, everyone's got this illness that turns them zombie-like. 
rather than, you know, zombies are just rising out of the grave kind of thing. I mean, there's different ways to look at zombies too. It can be through disease. and I mean, zombification is actually a real thing that happens in uh, uh, some African countries. I, or I, I, Caribbean, it, I think. It, yeah, it, it is actually... That there is actually it's an, a hallucinogenic drug, right? Um, that can, but they don't go walking around like zombies and wanting brains and stuff like brains. that. It, it, it's brains. not like that. They, they just they just basically are as if they're stoned off their head twenty four seven kind of thing, from my understanding of it. So, I mean, there, there's an element of truth, but it's grossly um, overdone, unfortunately. Well, everybody, well, listen, everybody talks about the show. I'm sorry, Mike. Everybody talks no, about the show, no. The Walking Dead. And it's I, a good show. And I just it, the the concept of the show just I can't watch it. It's just too stupid, too far fetched for me to want to watch it. Well, okay, what about aliens? Aliens? Mm. What do you mean? The movies? Well, like no, any any alien movie can can you know? I mean, some people turn around and say the same thing about you know aliens coming down and. And invading the earth, and uh, you know, I'm thinking of what was it, District District, District Nine? Nine, District Nine, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great film, but again, you know, it's not based in any sort of reality that we can understand or that we've been through. So you sort of look at it, and, and I think you've got to just go with it. Sometimes, I mean, obviously, you, you turn away from the films that are, oh boy, that's B grade, or you know, closer to Z grade, because some of them are just bad. But if it's got a good enough story, good enough cast, then and good enough special effects, then maybe it can carry it, and maybe it's just a bit of fun. I mean, well, look, Kevin, it's got to be better than Honey Boo Boo. No, no, nothing's better than Honey Boo Boo. What about uh, what about Invasion of the Body Snatchers? I'm okay I'm with that. Fan. Yeah, and that's not exactly zombies. I mean, I don't know, uh, and I don't know where to put this one either. What about Planet of the Apes, or at least the newest oh, one? Uh, well, okay, let, let's not. I love everything up until the reboot that they've done the last few years because I think they screwed them. But anyway, um, the original Planet of the Apes, the whole series, even TV series, love it. The 2001 remake, love it. And what I love about it is even though it's not something that we can prove, it's something that because we're so similar to Ape. Both Mike and Kevin are looking up as if, you know, God's looking down at them or something. I don't know what's happening there. But no. no, I'm looking up at my monitor. I'm looking I, was up trying to, I was trying to figure out which one you were talking about because there was that remake with Mark Wahlberg, which I never saw, which I thought kind of stunk. That was a good one. I like that remake. Uh, but oh. it is dated. It is dated to that time. So that's that's. A, but then the original films are as well. Um, but what I like is I like the idea that because man is so close in DNA and makeup to ape, that if something evolutionary had changed in the course of history, then the apes could definitely be the dominant species with the brains, with the intelligence, and we could be more akin to the, the beasts and, and so forth. I think it's a very interesting dynamic. I think it also talks very strongly on how we treat animals, how we treat beasts, how we um, hunt them, how we um, cage them, and, and they're not that different to us. So I, I think it 
asks a lot of social questions, which is another reason why I love Star Trek, because it does that in maybe a far-fetched story, but it deals with the human condition. It deals with, well, you know, how can we look at something a little bit differently? So I love the plot of the Gape series. You didn't like the 2011 one? No. Um, I didn't like it because it was like the first Lord of the Rings. They go over the mountain, they're going over the mountain, and the movie. Oh, my God, that drove me insane. I love the movie. And they're going, and then I have to wait two years for the next one to be released. And I'm like, are you kidding me? And the same thing with the 2011 film, that they climb up, you know, they get outside the city, they climb up into the top of the trees, and the film. And it's like, oh, come on. And my thing is, what happens if they don't make another film? What if it flops? And then they don't make it. Then it's a it's half of a movie. It's just I hate it when they do that. Well, I, don't know. I kind of like it sometimes because I don't always like that. I don't. I don't have to have a story finished for me. Sometimes I like to be able to you know let it hang there and let me think about it. And then if they do bring out a second movie, then I can kind of go, "What did I think compared to what they do? How would what I think match up with what they do?" Uh, and I thought it was pretty good. I haven't seen the second movie yet, The Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Um, no, I so I, I'm, I'm kind of, and I should sit down and do that. Well, I should quit playing video games and shooting zombies and video games. Zombies and video games are fun, but, um, cause they blow apart really nicely, especially when you hit them with uh, corrosive uh, weapons, but that's a whole different topic right there. But, um, no, I do. I did like that movie. I did like the idea that, yeah, we create this. We're trying to enhance human beings, and in the process, we create something that ends up destroying human beings, but then giving the uh, this uh, ability to the apes that they allows them. It triggers their evolution and kind of triggers our de-evolution. And I thought that was an interesting idea. That uh, and you know, like I say on the show, we've always had this theory: don't poke the science too much. I don't know if there's this magic little trigger that you can flip in the DNA of of the you know the uh, primate uh, species that would cause them to start you know advancing. You know, but like I say, if you just let don't dwell too much on that point. I thought it was an interesting idea. What if you know we kickstarted their evolution and we kind of uh, started our own uh, you know descent, and mm-hmm. suddenly we become the uh, equivalent of uh, the dinosaurs, where we're on the decline and a new dominant species is on the rise. How would that play out? And you see the beginning of it there. And like I said, I should see the the next movie to see how they carried along. And but I did like the original one too, with Charlton Heston's. You know, get your yeah. hand. Hands off me, you damn dirty apes! And uh, yeah, I mean, they're classics. All of them are, are really good. Even though the the uh, probably three and four kind of got a little bit stroppy, but th- mm. they were still good films. I, I still can sit down and enjoy them as much today as the first time I ever saw them, which wasn't at the time, of course, because I, I wasn't alive back then. But um, it, it's just it's an enjoyable series, and I think it just. Did, did I did I put the stick in a bit? Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we just are more uh, experienced than you are, Mark. So you you are, and, and don't don't worry. I'll I'll hopefully outlive you guys, and uh, and and then you'll be cursing me from the grave, going that bastard. He's experienced in this movie, and I want to see it, and they don't have HBO. <laughs> yeah, just what we don't have HBO in heaven. Yeah, that's going to be the real worry thing for us. <laughs> I'm just what? afraid that if we have HBO, I ain't in heaven. So this is a concern. 
That's a good so point. It comes down to that binge watching, doesn't it? I mean, how many people binge watch television these days? It's just like, okay, we've got all you can eat and let's just watch it. And we watch one episode after the other. I mean, look, I do it all the time as well. I watch Star Trek back to back for days on end if I have the chance. But it's like, I, I look sometimes and I think, geez, I should be getting a life. Well, you know, it's it's interesting about the binge watching, which was another thing we were talk, going to talk about too. Um, I actually enjoy binge watching because, like with TV shows, let, let's say Big Bang Theory is probably the exception. We'll use a show that I love to hate, Under the Dome, which is coming oh, back. Oh, I love that show. That's great. I love that. But at, at the same time, the book is better. Actually, truth be told, the book is better 99.9% of the time, people. It's... Uh, Everything is better in the original book. I can't recall a movie that's actually, except for Jurassic Park. I think Jurassic Park is the one book that I didn't like that I preferred the movie um, because, and the only reason why was Jurassic Park. The book goes into the science quite heavily, and uh, it, it was it kind of stopped. It was a stop starting of the flow, um, which I didn't like. Um, but they, they took most of that out or, or dumbed it down for, you know, normal folk like me um, so that I wouldn't get confused with the movie. So there's some times where that actually works and sometimes where it doesn't, but generally the book's better. So Under the Dome, the book is definitely better. The problem with Under the Dome is the book portion of it kind of was finished around episode five in the TV series of the first season. Um, because now they're just making it up as they go. Well, they're changing it. Now, admittedly, Stephen King is somewhat involved, but they're, they're changing the characters, and the characters who die aren't necessarily the same ones in the book, and they're changing the dynamics to, depending on the actors. And they have to do that to a certain extent, but you either like the book or you like the TV series. You can't like both equally, and I, I prefer the book, but I, I still love the TV series. It's... um. You know, I've just contradicted myself, of course, but yeah, it's just one of those things. I, I love the idea of being under a dome, being locked, being trapped, and what would happen and seeing what would happen. So, well, in one way, we, we are kind of all trapped. No, you it, can walk just, into the ocean anytime you want, dude. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a fish. But is, There's a hint we, there. We, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're confined. In, in our realities. I mean, if we look at our realities, how often do the three of us go more than, say, 100 kilometers from where we spend 99% of our lives? What's 100 we, kilometers in real distance? 62 miles. Or 100 miles? You mean uh, how often, you mean? Yeah. You know, all I look at is, okay, you know, yeah, some people travel and scour the earth and, and so forth, but... It, you know, for most of our life, we tend to stick where we are. I mean, Kevin, I'm always having a joke with you about, you know, it's so cold there, but you could move to a warmer climate. And admittedly, Lisa, she still lives in a cold area and, and she prefers the heat. She should move to Florida. Same with Mike. Mm. Uh, but, you know, we, we tend to stay where we're familiar, where we're comfortable. So we create a virtual dome over our existence to this area or this specific region that we all live in. And, you know, I, I think uh, I can say honestly that you guys would love where you live and because that's what you know and you trust and you, you, you 
feel it being part of you just as much as I feel where I live has been part of me and I feel comfortable with this. So I, I think Under the Dome is an interesting style of TV and, and style of story because it, it basically just enforces that, okay, you, you normally are trapped, but now you're really trapped. And because it, if you look at the the, uh, the little township that's created, everyone in the town grew up in the town, got married to townsfolk, you know, they may have gone away to study or travel occasionally, but they came back to the town. And so they shouldn't really care if they're stuck under this dome, but yet they are. And that's the interesting dynamic about it. It, again, deals with the human condition. I guess that's true, but actually, this is a show that I watch, but I get mad at myself for watching it because I don't like it, but I have to watch it. And the reason I binge watch it is because of the quote-unquote cliffhangers they have at the end of every episode. I -hmm. wait for it because it's always on Amazon Prime, you know, so I'll wait till like six weeks in or something like that into the season. Then I'll start watching two or three episodes at a time. And that way I get more of the story and, you know, it'll be over for two or three weeks probably on television before I watch it. What don't you like about the show? I don't know. It's just, it rubs me the wrong way, but I can't stop watching the damn thing. (laughs) It just aggravates the piss out of me, but I and, can't stop. And Honey Boo Boo didn't? No, Honey Boo Boo was just a... She was a an angel that walked on the earth. Jesus Christ. Yeah, because heaven wouldn't hold her and she <laughs> fell through. Well, that was Mama June and heaven wouldn't hold her. <laughs> really? Mm. I thought Sidon kicked her out. But anyway... Uh, Kevin, but, Kevin, Kevin. Look, you know... I, I, I can understand that. I mean, there, there are some shows that you tend to just watch anyway, and you sit there and you go, why am I really watching this? And But you tend to get captivated for whatever reason. Again, look, honestly, go and get the book. You'll enjoy the book. It's a, a marathon read, but you will enjoy it. Um, it's basically like every Stephen King book that's been put into a film or a telly uh, series or, or something like that. The the one that is the most accurate is uh, Pet Cemetery. That thing is almost word for word accurate. It's it's almost pinpoint accurate to the book. It's superb. The rest of his stuff just isn't. It's all over the place. Um, and it just depends whether or not he was involved in the screenplay or not, or you know what they. Oh, Misery was another one that was pretty close. Same with Carrie. That the, uh, his earlier stuff was was closer than the later stuff that they've done in the last few years. What about Christine? Um, I can't remember the the film that well. I've only ever seen that once, and that was a long time ago. I didn't like that film that much. Oh, I love um, that film. Oh, well, there we go. We we disagree again. <laughs> well, no, I'm thinking about Maximum Overdrive. Good um, soundtrack. <laughs> well, that, I remember something about, I want to say, I, for some reason I looked up some things about I think they were like stoned half the time when they were doing that or something. Or uh, I, I think Stephen King said that was probably not one of his most favorite. I think I'm getting that right. No, I just feel like well, Stephen King was um, was quite a heavy alcoholic, and he, he was stoned quite a lot during his <laughs> um, his massive period of writing. Um, well, where, that's kind of know, obvious when you read some of his stuff that he was. <laughs> Yeah, but let's let's put it this way. Let's put it in perspective. Not that I condone drugs and 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 being drunk and stuff like that, but you've got to credit that the music that we listen today, having been influenced by the sixties and seventies music that came, 
that was drug-induced and alcohol-induced uh, wouldn't exist. We, we wouldn't have moved far on from, you know, big bands, jazz and, and classical music if it wasn't for um, the stoners coming in and... and um, Quaaludes, acid, LSD. <laughs> absolutely. So there's an element of that. I mean, Stephen King, you know, he's a brilliant author. Even when he was intoxicated, it was brilliant. I, I remember seeing a, a couple of things. Alice Cooper won't release um, a couple of his albums um, on vinyl. He won't have them repressed. Um, he's got most of his catalogue repressed, but those few albums he won't, and it's because he can't remember recording them or touring <laughs> for them at all. Now, the producer can, but he can't. He was completely drunk throughout the whole thing, and he can't remember a damn thing. He knows it's him sinning. <laughs> it's proof that he's sinning. But the funny part is they're some of the best albums he ever made. They're just they're, they're at the pinnacle of his creativity. So sometimes... That drug inducement, that alcohol inducement does bring out creativity. I don't know how it does it. I honestly wish that there was a way to have that experience without it being addictive because, boy, I, I could get more creative with my life. Um, well, just, just look at Keith Richards. I mean, uh, <laughs> the guy looks like he's about 3,000 years old. He makes mummies look young. Um, I think King Tut looks remember, better than he does. Yeah, and I think at some point he even admitted to, if I remember this correctly, uh, in an interview that he did, he said something about after his dad or stepdad or something like that was dead, he actually said something about snorting some of his ashes. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, <laughs> I recall that, yeah. I don't know if he got high or not, but okay, whatever, dude. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I used to work with, I had a friend of mine that worked with me, and she figured, what could she do so bad if, based on what Keith Richards has done and he was still alive? <laughs> <laughs> that guy must have, I don't even want to know what his I innards look, look yeah. like. Oh, I uh, some, some I mean, look, Stephen Tyler of Aerosmith uh, was oh, the yeah. same. And, but just back in that, that era, it was just the done thing. I mean, even today, there's still a lot of bands that are like that, although there's a lot of bands on that, that heavy metal grunge side, that, that uh, hard rock side that don't touch the stuff. They don't go near it. Um, so each to their own. But at the same time, I honestly believe that if it had not been for the drugs, that we wouldn't have had the, the music of the 60s and 70s that then has defined music for us and what... I believe, anyway, is truly awesome, fantastic music. Um, you know, there's been good music in the last 30 years, but nothing beat... It, if I'm looking to play something and really groove with it, I'm looking 1970s for sure. Well, now, let me ask you this. Do you think... Uh, what would Ozzy Osbourne been like if he'd stayed straight? Boring. Uh, boring as hell, and Black <laughs> Sabbath would have done one album. Yeah. Um, it, look, you know, it's it's hard to know. It's always interesting to look at, at artists and, and sort of compare and say what would they have been like. Um, I think, look, Alice Cooper's one who has been off alcohol addiction now for, I want to say, 30 years or so. Probably close to it. Maybe 25 is, is closer to it. And he certainly put out a lot of brilliant albums sober because what he did was in, he... He was, he's got an addictive behavior, so he had to go and do something else addictive. And he's gone and, and played golf, and that's his regular thing he plays every day, I believe. 
and he's actually done some big golfing tournaments and so forth. It'd be interesting to to watch. I'm just picturing yeah. Alice Cooper playing golf. It just doesn't ring true. He's supposedly a brilliant golfer. Oh, just yeah. really, really incredible. Um, so he, he took one addiction and replaced it with something else. And I think, look, I, I've got a, an addictive personality, and I tend to do the same thing. I tend to, you know, if I want to stop doing something. I can't stop it without replacing it with something else. So, I mean, that does kind of work. But what I'm trying to get at is his work throughout the late 80s into the 90s was absolutely awesome. And then, you know, he went through a bit of a dull patch there for a few years and then he peaked up again at the end of the 2000 noughts or whatever we we call them. Um, But, you know, I'm I'm thinking his Poison album was... Oh, sorry, his Trash album with Poison on it was a, a beautiful... Uh, album uh, Hey Stupid was pretty good The Last Temptation was perhaps one of his um, one of his best um, so he could also do brilliant work within the Stop Making Me Laugh guys, he could do brilliant work within the, the, the sort of drunk induced uh, lifestyle but he could also do take that work to the sober lifestyle and do that and I think that's what we're looking at with uh, Aerosmith, eh, not really the same, but they're hit and miss clean versus, you know, being intoxicated and, and so forth, and their clean stuff is still pretty good. All right, so bring it back around. We're talking about musicians that were like that. What about people that produced movies? You know, because we were talking about movies. I mean, there's some of these weird movies that I've seen, and Dr. Strange... Let's just put it it this way. George Lucas was on something when he decided that we needed more Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, it it wasn't the good stuff. He he was scraping the the bottom of the barrel. Well, I'm thinking about, like, the movie we mentioned a little earlier, or I mentioned earlier, Dr. Strangelove. That movie is all hippy, dippy, weird, and... And stuff like that. So, you know, that makes, you know, you know, again, we've had great artists, movies, music, artists, because I swear to God, I don't know what Picasso was on, but the dude seriously had to be on something to come up with some of those paintings that he came up with. Mm -hmm. I mean, really. So it does seem to, for certain types of people, inspire creativity. It, you know, for me, it just makes me sit there and stare and watch the pretty colors move across the sky, but... Yeah, but so you take that and then integrate it into something creative. Replicate that into a create a form of creative arts, whether it's the written word, whether it's uh, photography, whether it's drawing and painting, whether it's making a, a documentary or a film or something. It 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 works and and it does help like like that. Um, one one thing that I came across recently was Fear and, and Loathing in Las Vegas. Now, that's a film that I absolutely detest. I can't stand the film. Johnny Depp is a great actor, but I can't stand the film. But the book is brilliant. The book has all that drug-induced personality yeah. in there, and you can actually, rather than being shown, this is where story comes in, rather than being shown, the author describes it, and then you imagine it. You go through that journey Whereas in the film, they just show it and it's like, oh, man, this film's boring as hell and just pathetic. So, yeah. It, it does, yeah, I will say it does induce some creative juices for certain people. And you do have to wonder where we would be if people like Ozzy Osbourne or or Stephen King, where we started with this whole idea, where 
where we would be with creative works, Picasso. My kids are starting to study Shakespeare in school, and they all swear the dude was on something. They don't well, know what the choice of drugs I, was. I can't, I can't understand Shakespeare at all. It, it's <laughs> well, it if you want- just above my head. And frankly, I don't want to understand it. I know it's a literary thin and probably literary folk, if anyone you know, is listening to the show, is going, oh, how can you claim yourself as being a writer and you can't stand Shakespeare? Easy. <laughs> the guy is just off his face. Well, then you have people like Edgar Allan Poe, who was a, I think, a serious alcoholic, but he uh, came up with some, you know, really, you know, I think he's kind of credited with creating the first uh, detective story with murder in the Rue Morgue um, about uh, they have to investigate this crime where somebody's like stuffed up a uh, a chimney, and I think it ends up being some ape that broke out from the uh it's been a long time. It was way back in junior high, so it's probably been forty years since I read that movie or read that book. But um, but it's a, de- a detective story where they kind of have to figure out what was going on, and um, and so I think that he's kind of credited with the first you know detective type story. But you know he did some you know really interesting, some really dark uh, dark stuff. You know things like the Telltale Heart. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, um, Oh, let's see, the cast of uh, Amontagog, oh, I can never get that name right, um, about this guy that uh, lures, uh, he re- resents this guy, so he lures him in to have this cask of wine that he has, and as the guy's getting stoned, he walls him into a, a uh, uh, part of the uh, the cave or whatever where they're at, and he leaves him there to die. I mean, that's just, you know, it's dark, dark stuff, but, you know, it kind of taps into, you know, the emotions that people feel and again it kind of goes back to for me it goes back i'm putting myself in this position and trying to imagine this stuff and um like i say and we read that uh kind of stuff way back in junior high and high school uh but you know and they, but he did have a way of writing things too that you know brought this stuff to life or death as you you know whatever however you want to look at it but uh or even things like you know the raven uh uh quote the raven nevermore yes um uh, the uh, what was it for the love of uh, Ellen um, Lenore? Uh, Quoth Raven, Nevermore. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't quite remember all that. But I mean, there was something you know, uh, dark but melodic about that too. So, well, you know, another one of his, you know, again, my kids are saying that Shakespeare seriously had to be on something to write the way he wrote. Uh, but the other one, I told him, I said, when you get a little older and you have a chance to experience Kafka, I don't know if you've ever experienced read any of his stuff. He, you talk about somebody dark and disturbed. I mean, they actually have a term called Kafka esque uh, that describes the crap this guy was just. He was really out there. I mean, he wrote some really disturbing. And my, I read it in college, but it was really kind of disturbing stuff. I'm not aware of any of his works, but I know yeah, that that that's another dark dude that's just. Uh... Uh, and I don't even know what his stories are. I mean, uh, Franz Kafka is his name. Uh, and he wrote, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the ones we read in college. I can't remember now off the top of my head, but I remember reading it and I'm going, Oh my God, Did, what, what happened to this poor man as a child <laughs> made him this way, excuse me, made him this way. It was just, and, and maybe it was a combination, excuse me, of, uh, him and that hippy dippy teacher I had for that semester of uh, uh, English lit in college because this was a 
teacher that I argued with weekly when I went to class. I argued with it because he kept saying all this stuff, and he kept saying, oh, I'm so glad I was born and grew up, or I grew up during the 60s. And I swear to God, if he'd said it one more time, I was going to kick him in the butt so hard, I was going to send his ass right back mm-hmm. to the 60s. But he and I, I mean, it became, my friends in class always just waited for whatever point in class, he would say something, and I would just tear into him. I would just tear into him, and he and I would, I managed to still get a B-plus for the class, but, I mean, we just, back and forth, back and forth. I, he and I were like oil and water. It was just not a pretty relate. And the only teacher I had all the way through college that was like that, too. So, but yeah, Kafka was really pretty dark. And, yeah, Stephen King wrote some very dark stuff. And, yeah. It's, His stuff that I've done in class has been quite as dark as I think his persona uh, sort of lends itself to be. I. I read some of his stuff and I just go, okay, yeah, it's dark, but also it's almost humorous in, in some aspect. It's almost like, oh, really? Okay. Um, it, I guess it just depends. I, I Look, I've been reading Stephen King for 20, I want to say 20 to 25 years, and um, maybe I've just got used to his stuff too. I mean, that, that's one thing. You can get very used to an author or a style um, and when you actually read it and read it, there's less of a shock factor, less of a, ooh, you know, this is a, a scary or this is a, a thriller or, or something like that. It, I guess it's like you read Agatha Christie and you read enough and you kind of go, okay, yeah, it was the bellboy kind of thing. You, you kind of can almost read between the lines and then it, it's not quite as much of a shock um, type thing. So that's... The, the one author that I've always found that I've felt uh, writes quite dark is Anne Rice. I don't know any of her it, stuff. It, Vampire Stories. Chronicles. Um, and they're, they're quite dark because they, not because of vampires necessarily, um, but just the style of writing, the, the story that, that links. I mean, even if, she wasn't dealing with vampires. That the tone of her writing to me is quite dark. Okay, I'm looking now. Oh, I see. She oops, oops. she wrote the interview with the vampire. I remember when that got made into a movie. Movie was good, but look, you know, I mean, Tom Cruise, yeah, can take him or leave him. I mean, it was a Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt one. It wasn't great. The remake, or not the remake, but the the next film, which is based on the third book instead of the second book that was released in like early two thousands, Queen of the Damned. That's um, much a much 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 better film um, than the ninety three interview with the vampire. Uh, the problem with the ninety three interview with the vampire is it just had too many known names, and they were already typecast from previous films, and then after that they. You kind of go, oh, you know, I've seen them in in this movie and it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it was still a good film. I still like it. But, yeah, it's just one of those things. I think it was just too many big names where it's a film that really should have had the up-and-comers or almost no-name, no-household-name actors in it. Um, Because the whole time you're watching it, you're seeing Brad Pitt and you're seeing Tom Cruise. They're great on the screen together, but as fictional vampires, not so much. 
So you're saying that that's one of those cases where you can't really see Jim Parsons playing a blood-sucking vampire. Yeah, Jim Parsons is definitely typecast. He is going to he's going to be like Will Whedon. He is screwed. Like, <laughs> nobody. He is he is really typecast at this stage. Um, and look, it, it happens when when a character in a film is so big and the actor behind does more than just the one film or that one season of a TV show or something, they do become typecast. I still look at Leonard and I I still think of uh, Roseanne. I mean, it just, it happens. It naturally happens. Um, You know, some of them get out of that. Sometimes they don't. I mean, you look at, you look at basically everyone on Star Trek and um, very few of them have actually gone through and actually done a lot after Star Trek. And I'm, when I say that, I'm not talking like Leonard Nimoy. He did plenty, but I'm talking, you know, the next generation crew, Deep Space Nine, Voyager. They haven't really moved on into that next biggest television series or that great movie that they did. I, You know, I don't see them a lot. Um it's just one of those things that they get typecast, unfortunately, because it's such an epic role. And I guess that's why they get paid so much as actors per episode, especially in, in recent years. Um, because you know what? Once, once Big Ben Theory is done, those guys are going to find it really hard to, uh, to get something outside of that, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, kind of like Seinfeld. You never have really seen any of the other shows that spun off from any uh, original. Ray Romano as well, from Everybody Loves Roman, same type of thing, very top cast. Uh, uh, what's her name? I think Patricia Keaton or, or whatever Heaton. the wife's. Patricia Heaton. Heaton, thank you. She's done a couple of good things, but he hasn't done anything else. And um, it, it's, I mean, look, it doesn't happen every time. It's not a set rule. But generally, that, that leading role, whether it's a male or female role, they tend to get typecast. It's like watching um, the guy who played Harry Potter in anything else. You just, you can't. It's just not there. You automatically say, oh, there's Harry Potter. It, it happens. I don't know, because I'm thinking like uh, uh, Captain Picard, uh, Patrick Stewart. He's gone on to do uh, you know some of the X-Men movies. He's done a few things. Um, um, mm-hmm. I'm drawing a blank. Catherine Janeway. Um, um, oh, I can't think of the actress's name. Um, she's gone on to do the uh, Orange is the New Black um, uh, series on. Uh, is it Netflix? I think it is. Um, there's uh, there's been a few a few of them that have gone beyond because I mean those were some fairly you know iconic roles. Um, Oh, Catherine Mulgrew. There we go. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. uh, it came to me eventually. But, you know, there's some that's moved on from that. And um, I don't know. You know, it kind of depends. If if they're, you know, good enough actors, uh, you know, they will probably well, transcend. Let's put it this way. Pat- Patrick Stewart was a great actor before he ever did Star right. Trek anyway. So right. I think if they had success before, then they could probably right. come into the role and then move on. But if it's a new actor... Um, or newish actor, and that, that's why I say Jim Parsons is, is going to have trouble because I haven't seen him in anything prior to the Big Ben. I don't know if you guys did. Um, so I, I think. Well, I mean, I look, think 
it's an epic think... role. He's just he. The problem is he's got a demeanor. It, it's right. it, it's his his way of presenting himself that is going to. He's a brilliant actor. I, I can't deny that. Right. But can he act in another role and take well, it to another level? Some uh, some do like. Um, Neil Patrick Harris moved on from Doogie yeah. Howser. True. Yeah, I, I still kind of typecast him in that role a little bit. Yeah. I, look, I, I guess it, I guess it just depends how much you adapt to a character that the actor is playing, or how much um, the the character becomes, or the actor becomes the, how how, yeah, much, how, how close they. Yeah. yeah. Like Leonard Nimoy, he was always Spock. Um, Always. I mean, when I say he did other things, he did, but it was always kind of Spock-related. It was well. Uh, let's not forget Jim Varney too. You remember Jim Varney, don't you, Kevin? Oh yeah, Avern, Avern, Vern, 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 Vern. And I think he tried to do a few things beyond that uh, character. And but every time you saw him, you always saw uh, um, uh, what was his character's name? Um, it, I mean, it, uh, Ernest. Ernest, yeah, there we go, yeah, yeah, Ernest, um, you know, because he's always talking about Vern, but yeah, and I think he tried to do a few other things, but you know, you'd still look at him and you were just waiting for him to say, hey, Vern. Um, yeah, so. well, if you look at classic actors and so forth, you think, I think John Wayne immediately springs to mind, and it's like, you know. Wild West. Yeah, absolutely, cowboy kind of thing, and, you know, he did some other great films, brilliant films, I love John Wayne, I, I've got a lot of his films, Um but he did get typecast a little bit. So, I yeah, look, it does, as Mike said, it doesn't happen all the time. Um, and I think it might even be up to the individual viewer. Like, the three of us could probably sit here and agree and disagree for the, the rest of the day on which type, which actors are typecast and which aren't. But um, it does happen to a certain extent. And I'm okay with that. But it does it does kill their future career prospects. Um, it just it doesn't help. And I just, the Big Band Theory is really a concern with typecasting, in my opinion. Um, well, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe it won't be, but who knows? Well, you know, you talked about Johnny Galecki on uh, Big Bang Theory. The one thing yep. that, that reinforces that Roseanne thing for you is the fact that Sarah Gilbert's on there. Yep. And what was the lady's name that played Roseanne's sister? It's running right out of my head. Yeah, that, that Sheldon's mother. So they, oh, they yeah. do link in. They do link into that um, from the production side, um, which is cool. I mean, you know, that's that's fine with me. They're all great actors and actresses, anyway. Um, well, they must not have been two typecasts though, because I didn't even think about that until you guys mentioned it. I'd forgotten uh, uh, completely about that. Mike. Oh yeah, I did. I hated her. Yeah. Um, she drove me nuts. <laughs> <I think> well, <laughs> did. <laughs> Well, I used to watch her, but then she started taking this political kind of uh, bend to the show. And when she started going to the left, uh, I just got kind of fed up with the whole show because then it became – everyone's going to have a political viewpoint that they bring to everything. I, I bring a political viewpoint. I try not to put it out there too often, but I have certain beliefs I hold on to. And if I was doing something – I mean I am in front of the public here, but it's not really big. But you know, I bring certain values and stuff to a, uh, to a, what I do here, but I try not to be too overt about it. But when I start doing the bonk, bonk on the head 
kind of, I'm going to, this is why you are wrong and this is why you should listen to me. Uh, that's why I kind of, Ellen DeGeneres really kind of, um, not the fact that she came out, but the fact that she said uh, when she came out, it was basically kind of like, I, uh, you know, I'm gay and you are going to love me. And it's kind of like, well, hey, you know, one do not go hand in hand with the other. And it's just the beating a person over the head with it. If she would have, I don't know how, you know, because even back then, or back then it was kind of a controversial thing when she did, you know, finally come out. And But it just seemed like it was just pushing it in people's face to the point where I think she did more, potentially more harm than she possibly good out of the deal. But that well, that's my opinion. Yeah, because she that television series was really good at first. And then when it came, became all about her being out and her being gay, again, I that's fine. I have plenty of gay friends. It doesn't bother me. The but that's when that's all it became about. She's not that. Ellen is a hilarious person. She is an, a truly amazing entertainer. I mean, I can watch her do other stuff, and she, you know, the voice she did for Dory in uh, Finding Nemo—that's Ellen. That's the Ellen that I like, and she's she's that vibrant, happy, slightly off kilter, nor of normal person that just you just want to be around, or you want to you want to always want to be near because you know you're going to laugh, you're going to feel the emotions, you're going to um, have a good time. You mean you might go through a roller coaster ride, but it's going to be a fun roller coaster ride with her, just because. But, but maybe, the, maybe the sexuality issue is as strong as the political issue and the religious mm-hmm. issue. There's just some things that should remain personal, and that's fine. But let's not flaunt them, whatever they are, um, because there's things that will always divide, and things that will always be well. That's just taken it one step too far or then other people would turn around and say you know what it wasn't taken far enough that there's not going to be a, a a win-win out of that so sometimes and, and kevin just hit it on the head ellen is very talented uh and it's got absolutely nothing to do with her sexuality and and you know what she chooses to be that's her choice um so i i want to see more of the the actor and and you know this boils down to I, I remember there was a, an actor recently, an Australian actor, um, something Hughes. He did the Hey Dad series in Australia, and he was in the ABBA movie and so forth. Anyway, he was convicted on on um, indecent assault of young girls and so forth on different sets and, and so forth. And he's serving prison time, which is awesome. And it becomes very then hard to watch anything that comes up. So the ABBA movie um, that you guys may have ever recalled, um, you know, it becomes hard to watch that film because he's a key component through that. But the thing is this was made in the 70s and um, they had no clue that he was doing this and all that kind of stuff. And you start to look at it and you think, okay, people do some pretty terrible things to other people. And they may be in the public eye or they may be famous or they may be an actor, a musician or whatever. But can we separate the art from their personal life? Can we turn around and say, you know what, it, it was a, a great scene that person was in. Total, total fucking asshole though in real life, but shit, could bloody act. I mean, th- that's something that is really, really hard to, to deal with is when an actor turns bad or a musician turns bad, how much... Do you class the person with their art form? 
Yes, yeah. as you bring that up, I'm thinking of Gary Glitter uh, because he was convicted of, uh, I think, child porn or something like that. And uh, now, I, uh, and you know, the song, and they use it all the time. They even, you know, play it at school. The band plays it. It was at Rock and Roll Part One. I can't remember the exact name or whatever it is. The, uh, but you know, that's that's become a uh, iconic, you know, song. But you know, every time I hear it, I do still, you know, think of the think of the pervert. Uh, you yeah. know, they're kind of linked. But, but you do, because I mean, my school uh, that the kids go to, um, you know, they'll often play some of the Michael Jackson tracks like Thriller and so mm-hmm. forth, and they learn to dance and choreograph to it. Now, I've been a Michael Jackson fan throughout my life. I think his music and his talent's great. His personal life, though, was complete fucking God right. knows what the hell happened there. But bottom line is I can still appreciate his talent as a musician and a performer but it doesn't mean necessarily that I have to like the person. Yeah, I, Michael Jackson. It's, it's a hard one. It's a he, hard one. No, nah, he holds a special place, and it's not a good one for me. Um, and just because, not because of the stuff that came out later in his life, he just turned so freaking weird. I mean, you take aside the the whole thing with kids. And, but but, but, but is, isn't that the freedom of all Americans, that they can do whatever they like? Yeah, and that's fine. He he was and, uh, he, he did it. I mean, he he and, yeah, he, and that was him. But I'm just saying right. that's why I can't like him though because he went so weird that it disturbs me. But that's me. I'm allowed right. to not, the, whole. The, the same way he's allowed to be weird. I'm allowed to. <laughs> I want to have nothing to do with this guy. Yeah. Right. You know that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, look, and, and different things. I'm just looking at your T-shirt at the moment, Kevin, and it's Kiss, and Kiss is a great band, love Kiss. But Jesus Christ, Gene Simmons, you know, he, he's one example of turning anyone against the band Kiss. He just, he, he prostitutes Kiss everywhere he possibly can. Yeah. And he, he, he ruins it. They make great music. Um, they do wonderful live shows. But really, do you have to put every single bit of merchandise you can possibly think of. Uh, you know, so he, he's a dick. He really is. He, he, you know, he, but he's a brilliant musician. So it's like, you know what? I love the band, but I can't stand the guy. <laughs> it's like, that guy shits the crap out of me. So, well, I, I mean, that's what it is. You, I think we've got to learn sometimes to take the personal life away from the actor, the actress, the the author, the musician, whoever it is, and deal with them on what they're presenting to the public. Oh, now, I, I'm not concerning that stupid behaviour. I'm just saying yeah. that it, it, if we had an objection to everything that we normally have an objection to, we wouldn't watch, we wouldn't listen, and we wouldn't appreciate half of the art forms that are out there in the world today. We just we'd walk away from it and go, oh look, you know, they were stoned when when they made Sergeant Pepper's. Oh, I don't like the stone mentality, so I'm not going to listen to Sergeant Pepper's. Really, you're a fucking idiot if you're not listening to Sergeant Pepper's. It's a classic. Um, it's just you, you don't do it. You go, you know what? That was an art form. I don't really care what they did to get to the art form, as long as they didn't hurt innocent people. That's fine with me. If they want to get stoned, great. They made awesome music. Well, see, I have to ignore a lot of, um, and I really kind of wish that, well, I guess, you know, actors, they, everyone's entitled to their opinion and they have a public forum. They like to express their opinions, but I wish they'd keep it to themselves because, uh, 
Uh, I uh, will admit that I have kind of a conservative uh, mentality, which is like 180 degrees opposite of Hollywood in a lot of that stuff. They tend to be, you know, uh, driving left off the cliff, and um, I tend to be going the other direction. Uh, but, and I try not to, you know, same, you know, like Kevin was saying with Ellen, she's, you know, a very funny person. I just don't want to have to, you know, have certain political opinions, you know, you don't want to shove political and the sexual opinions right. to get to what she's right. really about, which is their humor and, and, and the high quality um, right. persona and, and, and personality she brings to everything. Well, and the thing is, too, yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm trying not to get too far down the political thing, but it seems like the. Uh, the liberal side has a very open forum, whereas people on my side, uh, I'm trying not to bring this down the sides, but people with uh, my set of beliefs, we have to be a little bit more careful about what we say. We have to word it properly. And we, it just doesn't seem like there's a forum, uh, a readily available forum out there for you know things that I believe. Uh, and it just seems like they have, maybe I'm a little jealous, I suppose, that uh, you know they have this platform that they can just, get up anytime they want, say things. And, uh, you know, uh, I don't necessarily have that. And, uh, if I disagree and if, even if I have good reasons for disagreeing with, you know, their uh, set of beliefs, uh, I have to be very careful how I say it or else mm -hmm. I will be portrayed in a certain way. Uh, yeah. so it's a little frustrating to, like I say, have a set of uh, beliefs that and uh, core values that you have uh, thought about, and I just don't. I don't have knee jerk reactions. I think about every uh, thing that uh, an opinion that I have, and there's uh, reasons for the ones that I have. And pe some people may not agree with them, but that's the thing. We are able to have these opinions and disagree, and, and as long as people respect mine. I will respect theirs. I don't agree necessarily with some of their opinions, but they can do as they wish as long as, you know, I will have the same amount of respect given to me. And that's kind of how, you know, civilized society has to work. But I guess I am just a, a tad jealous because um, it's kind of hard for me to, you know, like I say, you know, have the beliefs I do and not, and, and kind of have to refrain myself sometimes. Well, it goes back to the old adage of live and let live. I mean, right. if, if, mm -hmm. if, if you can apply that evenly across, everybody's going to be a lot happier. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it just seems to me that way. Um, and, you know, as I've gotten older, I, I see the world as Mark said, different eyes. I've had different experiences. Stuff that at one point in my life might have bothered me no longer bothers me. Uh, the stuff, that core of things that bother me. Um, and, and we were just talking about Michael Jackson. That's one of those things that's, that's a core that's getting smaller and smaller as I age, I want to think. But I also mm -hmm. believe that it hasn't shaken my fundamental beliefs that I've held since I was a child and my core values. But I've become uh, more accepting of different ideas and behaviors as I've gotten older. Or at least I believe I have, and I'm okay with it. But there are just certain things that just like my little ADD stuff where I can't walk by and leave a closet door open. That drives me up mm. a freaking wall. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, <laughs> light light and, switches. And my family yeah. do it to, on purpose just to make sure that they ship me off. Uh, honestly, it's annoying. They, they just leave everything open and I just go through the house. Dun, dun, dun. 
Well, you yeah. see, I get my revenge at school because I go and people leave their doors unlocked, and I go around and lock them up because they should be anyway. Uh, but I just do the little things that I can that will annoy the crap out of them because they, that is – and my thing is um, – you know, my ADD, I guess, or whatever you want to call it, is if there are rules, we should be following the rules. I'm, uh, I like to say I'm very German in that uh, respect because, you know, we must do things this way. Yes. Mm. Hey, Heil. No. Die Heil. Die Heil. Sieg, Sieg Heil. Yeah. Oh, good Lord. Now we're going to get hate mail. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. We are really going down that track, aren't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, and, no, and to be honest here, uh, I'm half German and the other half is kind of like Scotch, Irish, English, and I've always embraced my Irish side. Uh, I've always mm-hmm. considered myself Irish with a name like McPeak or Scotch Irish, however you want to put it. Uh, I, I kind of a little of both there, I think. But uh, and I've kind of have been somewhat embarrassed by my German side because of all the things that Hitler did and the, these too. kind of things. Yes, mm-hmm. and the fact that my when my mom. Uh, she was born and raised in South Dakota, but then in the 30s, she went out to Michigan during the Depression, and she worked for Jewish families out there, and which is something that we're not exposed to here in the Midwest. So then she would come back and tell me these stories about these Jewish traditions that they had and the way that they would do things. And she didn't necessarily agree with them, but the way she told them, I understood that these were people that had, you know, these were beliefs, and uh, and she didn't, you know, didn't agree with them, but she respected them for who they were, and these were fine people they weren't like they were you know demonic they weren't the evil people they just had opinions that was different than ours and and when i was growing up that was only like about 20 years after the end of world war ii and some of those wounds uh were were still quite fresh my family talked about things i had uh, mom had an uncle or two that was killed in world war ii um and there was other people uh you know if you were german there were some people you know in this uh community would uh change their names uh, because they didn't want to be associated with, you know, being German. And I'm trying to think, I think there was, I, I can't remember right off the top of my head, I think there was a town in South Dakota that changed its name from, I want to say from maybe Berlin to something else. But, uh, and so, you know, these, this was a very strong sentiment at the time. And, you know, we, and so I have not, you know, it's just lately that I've come to embrace my, you know, my German side, and I put it in context of, uh, and again, I'm, I'm, this is a stereotype here, but I tend to think of the Germans as being rather methodical, scientific, analytical kind of things, and I see portions of that in in me, and you know, the things about following the rules and that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, as you get older, you learn how to take these things and how to feel about them. And so, like I say, sometimes I and I try not to in, in too disparaging a way, but sometimes when you know we must follow the rules, I'm saying, yeah, the Germans coming out in me, or sometimes I say the the German Lutheran because the Lutheran part was always, you know, you must uh, respect authority unquestionably and that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, these are things that, uh, you know, have made me the person who I am good or bad uh, and has taken me down the path that I now, you know, walk. Uh, But, you know, we all have to think about these things and uh, analyze them and think about, uh, you know, how they, how we what we bring to it and what we're, you know, showing other people and what we've learned from the things that uh, we have experienced. Yeah, I, yep. I, I definitely, my German, the German side of my family, uh, I was quite embarrassed by it for years and years growing up. Again, you know, when I was in elementary school and uh, on up through like sixth and seventh grade, you know, I, I tried to hide the fact that I was part German 
again, less than 30 years after the end of World War II, lots of animosity still there. Um, and I really embraced the uh, Welsh, uh, Welsh and, and uh, Portuguese and the other portion of my family more so than... Because um, I'm a Heinz 57. I, I mean, face it, my mm. family been most every part of the world. I'm Hell, I could be part Icelandic for all the hell I know. Um, but... Um, you know, could be I, part Aussie too. Good eye, uh, mate. Oh, that's just frightening. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I did. I did try to hide. It. Now, now I, you know, I'm good with it. I, I began to embrace it. I said, you know, I wasn't a Nazi. I am German. I can't change that. There's German blood in me. I'm Welsh and I'm Portuguese. I think those are the primary things that make me up. But and I'm I'm just gonna be controversial for a minute. World War Two and Hitler, very bad. But there were a lot of scientific advancements during that period oh. of time. Yes. That then later on and in the past twenty or so years have assisted in a lot of medical treatments that can help people. So war is, is generally bad. We understand that. We know that. But then there are the elements of, okay, well, what comes out of it? And it may just be a reflection as humans and just accepting better of, of other human nationalities um, and, and being more accepting of, of that and different opinions and so forth. So I, I wonder what the world would look like today sometimes. I, I sit and wonder sometimes if we didn't have World War Two, what would 2015 look like? And... Would we, A, be this advanced in technology, be this advanced in, in medicine and so forth? Where, where would we be and how would we be? Or would we be maybe back where we were in 1980 with technology and, and stuff? I, I don't really know. I'm just hypothesizing and just putting it out there that there's generally something underlying stuff that we can then learn from or work towards um, you know, it's the same with the space race. Um, whether or not you believe that man landed on the moon makes no difference at all. If the Russians weren't competing with the U.S., well, the space program wouldn't have exploded, wouldn't have got bigger. We wouldn't have as much sci-fi as we do now. Arguably, we may not even have much of Star Trek. Um, so there's elements that you kind of go, well, this kind of stuff, this kind of conflict had to happen so that we went in one direction. But then if we didn't have the conflict, we would have been somewhere else. We probably would have been happy somewhere else as well, but God knows where that would have been. Well, then it gets into the whole theory of parallel universes and, mm -hmm. you know, at pivotal moments in in our history, in this universe, you know, something went different in a parallel universe. And, you know, God knows what the Mike, Mark, and Kevin are doing in the parallel universe and what they're talking about or, you know... Maybe we all live together in, in harmony, just the three of us, you know, cuddling up together. You know, who knows? It, it, it could be anything. And on that note, uh, I, I'm taking over the hosting role this week. <laughs> That's the end of the show. <laughs> oh, good, good Lord. No one to be. Oh, dear. Yeah, I, I, I need a bath too. Not with you guys. Separately, oh. separately I swear. Oh, my God. You know what, this, this is a moment ever. in time where we've got to appreciate Kevin for his artistic approach and what he brings to the show, but, God, his personality and his personal opinion, oh, my God. 
I was just trying to picture a parallel universe where Mark had hair and uh, I had a life, and I don't know what Kevin wants. So yeah, I, I could have been a rock star, dude. Yeah, I can I'm, play a pretty plain air guitar. You're making me think of that quote from Bill Cosby's album talking about somebody that we find out about and went horribly wrong, but we won't go down that track right now. Uh, that's one. That's one exact. Then, like, for Christmas, I got a, a, com- a double comedy CD of his. And I've kind of sat on it, and I've only listened to one of the CDs out of the two because of all this stuff that's been going on in his personal life. And it's like, but the guy was fucking funny. Why should I then, because he was a dickhead in his personal life, why should I then ruin the humor that he brought to the table and, and you know, the, the laughter and, the, and that that I can get? I mean... Some people would say, oh, look, you've just got to wipe your hands clean of everything he's ever done. But the Cosby show is one of the best TV shows ever made in, in television history, in my opinion. And it, it's just one of those things. I don't want to miss out on that art form. And who knows? Everyone loving Shakespeare he might have been, you know, the murderous, you know, wife-bashing asshole. Who friggin' knows? You know, yeah. what, what people do behind closed doors, some of them come unstuck, and it's proof positive that not everyone comes unstuck because look at how long Bill Cosby, that that whole thing kept silent for years and years and years, and now it's only coming out. Imagine how many others that has happened to and nothing's ever come out. I'm, I'm sure if you looked at half of Hollywood and half of the, the rock stars out there, they have many, many skeletons in the closet and many things that we'd be going, oh, geez, I don't want to be associated with them in any way, shape or form. But do you think their skeletons have hair on their head? Well, hopefully a little more than mine. <laughs> and folks, that's where we'll leave it. The ever-eternal question, how much hair will Mark have on his head when he next records with us? So, uh, start... Us. Yeah, start... You know, Mike and I have more on our chins than you have on your head, dude. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's a sad fact. <laughs> 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 uh, starting in reverse order, why don't we talk about uh, uh, Mike? Why don't, why don't you tell the good listeners where they might be able to find you if they're so interested after our discussion today? Yeah, if you if you are still interested after this political sexual uh, debate we've just had, uh, it, it started out with apocalyptic movies, and apparently it's just ended with us uh, bringing on the apocalypse or something. <laughs> anyway, if you still want my opinions, uh, I can be found on DSC Chipman uh, on Twitter, and I have an about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak, that's M-C-P-E-E-K. Ah, thank you very kindly. And Mr. Green Tree, where can they find everything they need to know about you? Not everything. com, and I don't think they'll want to know much, but honestly, when Mike mentioned that we started at apocalyptic movies and then where we ended up, honestly, we don't even need to prepare show notes. We need one topic and then just start talking, and, and we create our own path. It's incredible. We're geeks. We have our passions. That's what it's all about. And folks, uh, if you want to find out more about me, you can find me on Twitter at uh, twitter.com forward slash B-I-G underscore I-N underscore V-A or go over to my about.me page at about.me forward slash Kevin Alder. If you want to find out more about the show, go over to geekiestshowever.com. Give us a listen. uh, Recommend us to your friends. Write a review at iTunes. Anything like that. We appreciate it. You know, anybody that wants to sponsor the show, hey, we're not opposed to that. We'd gladly <laughs> Yeah, accept. the whoopee cushion factory won't return my calls. 
It's because you sound like the whoopee cushion. That's why they think somebody's just playing it into them. Anyway. Ah. So, but any yeah. any any feedback like that, folks, would be greatly appreciated. Uh, still waiting to get feedback on last week's episode. Uh, do you think that guy sounded like Mike that listener Jim sent in? Let us know I, your opinion. I, I've got to say, Mike has a much better voice. That guy's getting paid more money than we pay Mike, and he's only half as good. He's only half a Mike. Mm. Yeah. There we go. It, he's oh. like he's like Mike in mono. Mike mono. Mono in mono. Mike moaning. Oh no, no, that's a whole dear, whole different. Anyway, let's 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 finish it up, folks. And uh, we do want to thank you for listening. It's been a rather long marathon episode, but we hope you enjoy it. And uh, join us next week. And please don't forget between now and next week to hug a geek. No, don't forget between now and next week to hug a geek. God, I can't even I, screw I, up my I, tag. Hopefully, they won't be moaning. Let's hope they don't moan while they hug. So that's all we'll go. <laughs> Goodbye, folks. <sighs> What's wrong, guy? Oh, just thinking about how much I miss the Macworld Expo. The fun, the sense of community, the presentations, the people giving out great information about what's going on in the Mac world, the candy apples and roller coasters. Candy apples and... Look, guy, I can't address this weirdness about nausea-inducing rides, but you can get the rest of all of that at the MacStock Conference this summer near Chicago. The MacStock Conference? Yeah. It's being held in Woodstock, Illinois on June 20th, 2015. There'll be great presentations by Alison Sheridan of the No Silicast podcast, Mike Potter from the For Mac Eyes Only podcast, Chuck Joyner from Mac Voices, Tim Robertson from TechFan, Eric Erickson, Julie Kuehl, and appearances by a lot of other well-known Mac podcasters and journalists. That sounds fantastic. I wish I was giving a presentation there. Uh, I actually believe you are, Guy. I am? I wonder what it'll be on. Hopefully not roller coasters. No promises. We should get the word out about this. Well, I think this is where Mike Potter jumps in and tells us all about it. Hey, everyone. Come to the MacStock Conference and Expo on June 20th in Woodstock, Illinois. It's going to be a day of community and information for Mac and Apple users unlike anything else out there. Easy to get to, inexpensive, and packed full of the people you know and love from the independent Apple press. Just go to MacStockExpo.com for more information. If you sign up soon, there's great discounts off the regular admission price. Remember, that's the MacStock Conference and Expo at MacStockExpo.com. <laughs>